The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. it going everybody welcome to the show it is time for break the business where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way i'm ryan carella and it is a pleasure to have you here this week it is a pleasure to have you here for as long as we can hold the stream because as i am talking to you live on this show we are in the eye of a hurricane it is barreling down on us hurricane nicole i believe we are just like it is making landfall as we speak right now we have power here at btb studios we have internet and so we have a show i can't speak to whether that will continue to be the case for the duration of this one hour program but we're all going to keep our fingers crossed and hope that the meteorological uh, situation continues to uh, stay steady. Let's go ahead and bring in our co-host this week. Katie Zaccardi's joining us. Always thrilled to be talking with her. Hey, Katie. Hi, Ryan. Thrilled to be seeing you. It, thankfully, it hasn't been that long, right? We had you on for our Halloween show, and that was a blast, and now we're, we're hanging out again. Yes, I could not stay away. <laughs> So in addition to being stressed about this hurricane, Katie, I am also tired because I did two things last night or in this morning that were bad for my sleep. One, I stayed up way too late watching election returns. I make this mistake every two years as if yeah. if I watch the Fulton <laughs> County numbers rather than just go to sleep that somehow I can influence the results. <laughs> And then the second thing I did was uh, I had to, you know, my kid woke me up at 4 a.m. this morning to feed him. And then once I was up, I couldn't go back to sleep. So oh, no. I was up too late and then got up too early. And now I am uh, I'm, I'm working off adrenaline right now. But the watching the election did give us uh, at least one really good meme that I think made the whole experience worth it. I, somebody posted this on Twitter uh, at Tony Tost writes, congratulations to John Fetterman for being the first key grip elected to the Senate. And tell me that does he does not look like a key grip there. <laughs> I guess he does. I mean, and as much as everybody kind of makes, you know, is like being like, oh, that's, you know, why is he wearing basketball shorts? Like that outfit that he's wearing right now, I've been practicing law in that outfit for the last three years during the <laughs> pandemic. And it has been very good for my well-being. But you so maybe it'll it help his legislating. You've been doing it in Miami, not in the snow. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the basketball shorts in the snow with a hoodie, it's a look. Yeah, uh, no, it's a know, choice for sure. You know what John Fetterman looks like in this picture? Where, and for the radio audience, he's wearing basketball shorts and a hoodie, and he's got like his AirPods in, and he does look like a key grip in, on a movie set. But what he also looks like, especially with the big scraggly beard and the fact that he's like six feet tall, Wait. He, he looks like a roadie but for like the girliest pop artist. That is so true. I was going to say he kind of looks like John Travolta in this picture. He does. <laughs> like if Don't John Travolta think? got cast in a movie 
where yeah. he was like, you know, like one of those, like, you know, he's got to play like a dark character. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Man. Yeah. But no, he does. <laughs> he looks like he would be Carly Rae Jepsen's roadie because without fail, yes. every time I've like been on a tour with a pop artist, the, the more poppier and bubble gummy the artist is, the bigger and meaner and scragglier their roadies are. I don't know why it's that way. It just is. I agree. And I think that that's his new calling. He just yeah. doesn't know it yet. Well, you know, if the if the whole U.S. Senate thing doesn't work out, he knows he has a career, <laughs> uh, you know, doing doing uh, roadie work for Carly Rae Jepsen. We have a uh, we, we we got a lot of great stuff to talk about. We have a great guest this week, Katie. Our guest joining us is going to be Tony D. Alexander. He is the co-founder and president of Made in Memphis Entertainment. Really cool entertainment company. Does a lot of stuff on the recording side, on the publishing side. Really invests in artistic communities in places like Memphis and Atlanta. Excited to hear about his experience and get some advice from him. In addition to all of that, he is an IP lawyer. I am also an IP lawyer, but he's a cooler IP lawyer because he's got his own entertainment company and I'm still doing IP law. So I feel like he's, yeah, see, I see Tony uh, Alexander in the green room, like laughing at that. He's like, yeah, I get to own an entertainment company and you're still registering copyrights for a living. Yeah. You're the winner, Tony. I get it. But you have a podcast, Ryan. Oh yeah. Well, he might have one too. Everybody's got a podcast. These days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Um, we got some TikTok topics. Boy, that's a hard word to say. This week, because I love talking the talk with you, Katie, because it's it's obviously something that you know a lot about. You're you're probably the most active person on the platform of all of the everyone in the break the business cinematic universe. And you and I both got like a hold of the same viral video this week. We are both obsessed with the same viral video that's all over TikTok right now. Yes. It's this girl, Natalie Jane Sings. Can you tell us about this video? So first of all, I'm not surprised that we both saw it because apparently 109 million people have seen it. So it adds up math wise. But um, yeah, so this is a video that I saw pretty early on in its virality. I want to say when it had like less than a million views, which again, given that it has like 14 million uh, or likes, I should say. Or maybe views too. I don't know. It was pretty. Look at early. you being a TikTok video hipster. Yeah, I mean, it just means that I'm on the app way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just outing myself right now for being a chronic scroller. I was into Natalie but... Jane sings before she was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I saw the video and the video is basically just of two girls covering uh, "Crazy" by Narles Barkley, and um, they sound great. It's cool. And I just happened to be doing content creation that day. So I saw an opportunity to duet the video. Now, this is actually not the first time, because uh, spoiler alert, I went viral with my duet as well. This is not the first time. <laughs> this is not the first time that I have done this. And so I already kind of knew that when you get on a video and you stitch it or duet a video that's going viral and even better if you notice that a lot of other people are stitching or duetting the video and that's getting in the for you page it means that tiktok is going to push out other stitches and duets of that video so i just happened to see the video while i was recording content um and i just thought it was really good it was like already going viral so i duetted it and off the cup off the cuff created a series um called why did it viral which actually uh, Lauren, do you want to just play the original video before I go any further, just so there's some like context here? Yes, let's play this. It's it's amazing these two girls' performance. They're so good. 
So good. It's so good. And I mean, it, it's so good that among the videos that duetted it, the it's just two girls singing the song in the parking uh, parking garage and absolutely crushing it. Among the people that duetted it was CeeLo Green himself, who I believe uh, duetted it and sang something along the lines of, Oof, they sing this better than I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. Um, so that's a video. And I basically just was like, hey, I randomly have this idea uh, to do a video or a series that's called Why'd It Viral? I can't remember. I might've actually had one of these in my drafts already, or I was inspired by this video, but I just basically put some headphones on and added my commentary as to why I think this had components of a viral video. And I, obviously you guys know me, I'm a coach. Like I help musicians do this. I've previously had a series in the past where I gave feedback to musicians who like submitted videos for feedback. And most of them were like, indie musicians barely getting views. And I feel like it's so much more fun instead of like giving feedback of like, here's what you need to do. This is just another take on it, which is like, here's why this worked. Like use these things, use these things in your content so that uh, your content can also go viral or just be like good content. Um, so I did a video. I don't know if you want to play it Lauren now, but it got, it went pretty viral. It got like almost 400,000 views which was the most views I've ever gotten, I think. Nice. Yeah, let's play it. I, I'd love to get your insight on how this song became such a phenomenon on the platform. Let's play Why Did It Viral. Right off the bat, the vocals are amazing and engage you, but we also have other things going. The setting is really cool. They're like in a warehouse. There's two of them and they're constantly moving around, which is really engaging. And they put lyrics and context on. Let's play Why Did It Viral. So that was quite a lot. was like a 20 second masterclass on uh, TikTok videos. That's yeah, cool. I know it was like 16 seconds. I even like ran out of time and I was just like, eh, whatever. So <laughs> I think that there's a few things going for me that definitely made my video viral. Number one, I took advantage of the fact that I was hopping on something that was already becoming a trend. Number two, the video is short enough that like, and I'm talking so fast that people kind of have to watch it multiple times to like get what's going on and understand it. Um, and number three, I said something wrong in it. I said that they were in a warehouse and they were not in a warehouse. They were in a parking garage. And I will let you know that half of my comments <laughs> let me know that I was wrong and that and, they were in a parking sure garage. And I'm sure you got nothing but gentle corrections on that fact. Yeah. Everyone hey, like, Katie, otherwise garage. great video. <laughs> Just a quick note. Little feedback. <laughs> it's a like, parking garage. No big deal, though. And you would think that like after five, 10, even 15 comments of that, people would think they got it covered. Like <laughs> she, she knows she by now, <laughs> she, she knows by now that it's a parking garage, but no, they actually keep going because they really want to make sure that I know <laughs> it's a parking garage. You got to double down. You got to make another video where you're like, you know what? I think it's a warehouse guys. <laughs> this is clearly a warehouse. No, like in retrospect, I don't know. I was just talking so fast. I didn't notice, but there's like the little car stubby thingy, like curb thingies. But yeah, I was like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> like That's what you're hung up on. Oh man. That but, is, yeah. that's hilarious. But again, a lot of great advice from you there in a, in a pretty small video, including something I've heard a lot from a lot of TikTok experts. Whenever you can 
having your own like artistic looking captions as opposed to just using the ones that TikTok kind of pre-creates really helps uh, make videos viral. TikTok likes the words and viewers like to be able to read along whatever they're watching. Yeah. And if you want the like extended cut critique, because I only had 16 seconds, they also with the captions, like they added commentary, like, you know, when she hit that run, which was crazy, like they literally added on the screen, like shocked, like shook or like, you know, like they kind of like added commentary. The angle was really cool. The lighting was really cool. There was just a lot of elements in that video. It was short and sweet, which is which is good because then you're not listening for one minute straight. You're listening for 15 seconds and then wanting more and more. So you play it again and again. So there's just so many elements of that that make it such a good video that I feel like musicians can learn a lot from. I'd be interested to see what happens to this Natalie Jane sings person from this. Like we have seen plenty of instances of creators who get these lightning in a bottle moments on the platform and some label or some publishing company or some somebody uh, extends out a potential opportunity for them. And certainly uh, we'd love to uh, you know, see that happen for them if it's the right opportunity, of course. And if they ever want to come on Break the Business, we're happy to uh, accommodate them there. Here's something that I was realizing as watching this that kind of made me a little sad in an otherwise very happy video. Do you know how old Crazy is, the song? What year are we in? I'm going to say like 15 years old. It is 16 years <laughs> old. We are teaching crazy to drive and it is backing the car into a mailbox. This, is, <laughs> this makes me so sad. And I don't know how old this Natalie Jane sings girl is. She yeah. might be younger than the song. This would be like if I was in a parking garage uh, singing a Human League song or a Thompson Twins song, uh, being like, wow, look at this throwback, like just before I was born. This whole thing, <laughs> while a great video, makes me feel extraordinarily old. <laughs> I like that you picked the most like niche examples. Well, I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing, it's songs. not that niche for me. In my age group, it's, it's perfectly the way it should be. <laughs> Oh, I think we lost Katie's mic. She did suggest that this might happen today. Did we lose you? Wait. There we go. We got you. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, technical difficulties. But I saw a video today of some guy who's he's like a comedian. And he was like, um, oh, my gosh. I'm so excited that they're finally playing uh, young musicians at the Super Bowl, like Rihanna. And like he said someone else, like Eminem yeah. or something like that. And then he was like, wait, am I? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw that tweet, right? He realized that, oh, no, I've become the demographic yeah. that the Super Bowl needs to cater to. Now, a generation ago, it was Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty. And now it's my music because I'm the old person. Yeah, that's a yeah. very sad feeling. And <laughs> it'll happen to you, Gen Z. Exactly. It happens to everyone, inevitably. E- even Natalie Jane sings. She seems so cool and youthful now. <laughs> And then one day she's going to be on whatever the equivalent of TikTok is and somebody is going to be covering, you know, the the new Taylor Swift song that just came out <laughs> and like mm. covering it like it's a throwback retro oldie. Yeah, that is going to be a sad day. Yeah. But you are right. <laughs> 
Oh my god. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. What cool throwback lyrics. <laughs> All right. That's Speaking, so 2022. Yeah, right. So 2022. <laughs> Speaking of TikTok, Katie. The platform is not only on your mind and my mind, but it is kind of on the mind of the whole music industry right now. A pretty bombshell article in Billboard came out recently uh, titled TikTok pays artists almost nothing in music royalties and the industry is losing patience. So this is a uh, recent article in Billboard talking about how TikTok's platform paying very little to music rights owners for the music that they play on the platform. And they give a basis of comparison here. A few weeks ago on the show, Katie, we talked about how video platforms like YouTube pay very little to artists when their music is played. On YouTube, it takes about 1,500 views for a, uh, of a song for a song to make a dollar on YouTube, which is significantly wow. lower uh, by many multiples than something like Spotify or Apple Music. TikTok, on the other hand, is way lower. So remember, 1,500 views to make a dollar for a music uh, piece of music on TikTok or on Twitter, on YouTube. On TikTok, it takes about 125,000 views. You get about uh, wow. $8 for every million times your song is played on the platform on average. So this is not a platform as of yet that pays out a lot of royalties. Now, in response, TikTok's global head of music says that Direct payment to artists are not the point of the platform. Yeah. Uh, he says, quote, we're proud of the partnerships we are building with the industry and artists, and we are confident that we are enhancing musical engagement. That translates directly to more financial and creative opportunities for music creators. TikTok is not a screaming platform. Our community comes to TikTok to watch videos, not to listen to full-length tracks. It's not apples to apples. Mm -hmm. So... Let's think about the story that we just talked about with this uh, this young lady, Natalie Jane Sings. Is there something to be said for the TikTok global head of music's argument that I would assume that the virality that this song takes is going to cause a lot of people to go stream crazy again? Yeah. I think I'm going to as well. And yeah. I imagine Gnarls Barkley, CeeLo are going to see a not insubstantial sum from this song being viral on the platform. So in your yeah. view as the, as the tic, resident TikToker around here, should that be enough for rights owners? Okay. I don't know if this is controversial. Cause like, obviously in general on this podcast, and I think just as humans, like we're all fighting for musicians to be able to make more money. But that being said, I kind of agree with the TikTok perspective, like their point of view. I, as you were talking, like the first thing I'm thinking is honestly like, well, why should we like, why is it TikTok's responsibility to pay creators? Why are we not still like yelling at Spotify for the streaming platform for not paying its creators enough? Like TikTok in my view is not a streaming platform, just as they said, it's an entertainment platform. And usually when a song is used in uh, a video it's a 15 second clip max you know or a one minute clip ma absolute maximum if the videos are even that long so you know i kind of feel like that's not where our battle should be like i feel like this is not the battle to fight i 
think, you know, it would be nice to be paid, but I feel like there's so many other avenues for creators to be paid from TikTok by doing ads, brand partnerships, or just simply like getting the views, getting the notoriety to direct people other places. Like you said, like this song blew up. So now people are going to go stream it, or maybe they'll go join, you know, the, the two girls patrons or listen to their music or like whatever it is. And it'll kind of like help them make money in other ways. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's like the right opinion, quote unquote, because it's not the necessarily money making one. But yeah, those are that's my thoughts. I'm not sure how much I can disagree with you there. This is something I really struggle with. On one hand, I'm with you in that I fully acknowledge the positive impact that TikTok is having for yeah. creators, particularly creators who have vast back catalogs that have been doing nothing. And all of a sudden, one of these super old tracks, like running up that even, hill. Yeah. Running up that hill. Yeah. Um, Love grows where my rosemary goes like a 60 year old song got a whole lot of play on TikTok, or uh, and or pretty much the entirety of ABBA's catalog. There yeah. is a lot of music that is getting revitalized. That's getting a resurgence. There are careers that are being revitalized as a result of this platform. There are a lot of this. This platform has made a lot of artists into hit makers. Yep. It has built a lot of careers. It has launched a lot of albums. And in that uh, vein, it has caused those artists to make a lot of money through people seeing the video on TikTok and then going, oh, I remember that song. Let me go stream it a thousand times on Spotify. Yeah. At the same time, like the IP lawyer in my head, and I'd be excited to get uh, Tony Alexander's perspective on this. The IP lawyer in my head is saying, hey, this is still a sync license. This yeah. is still music being used in a video. And you talked about a 15, 30 second clip. If I wanted to use a 15 or 30 second music clip in my commercial, that's 15 or 30 seconds yeah. and play that on television, I'm paying thousands if it's a hit song perhaps tens hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for that pair privilege if i want to use that song in a movie in a tv show that is watched millions of times i have to pay a lot of money for that but when that same song appears 103 million times on tiktok Narls barkley doesn't get more than a few dimes and quarters for that work and so i don't yeah. know how to reconcile that Oh, it's so tough because like, yes, you're right. And then I'm also like, well, you know, half the time if it's on TikTok, it's like background music. They're not paying attention. But you could argue that's the same for an ad or for a TV show that it's background music and they're not really, you know, people aren't really paying attention. Like, I don't I don't know what the answer is. The only thing I can think of is maybe just the fact that like artists kind of know what the deal is going in. Like, I don't think many artists are expecting to make money from TikTok because they know that TikTok doesn't pay for that. So if they're kind of like consenting for their music to be on right now, or maybe there's a choice that they like either can or, or don't have to consent to their music being available for other people to use, maybe that would help so that people don't feel like they're being like taken advantage of in some way. But I also just, I don't, know where the money would be coming from. I don't know how they would measure it. You know, when you're paying for an ad, you can kind of generally say how many people are going to be watching that and then pay accordingly. But you can't say for sure how many people are going to watch a TikTok or, you know, what happens if someone or if, you know, they're just tallying up the the eventual compound views. Like, it's just like, 
I feel like there's so much nuance. Well, I assume it could be set up similarly to what you have on Spotify, where the more that your song is played, yeah. the more money you get. The same, similar to how it works on YouTube. And at, at its core, you you know, there's there's a lot that you're saying that's right about like every you know, most of the artists who are doing this are doing it voluntarily. Like most of the music that's played on TikTok has been uploaded because yeah. the artists want it on the platform because they want TikTok users to use it and have the song go viral. And then next thing you know, uh, you're getting a lot of people streaming your music on Spotify. Yeah. Now, the only wrinkle in all of that is that there is a great many people who have uploaded their music platform kind of voluntarily, but also kind of under duress in this sense. There have been a lot of situations where TikTok users don't wait for the artist to actually upload the music on the platform and say, hey, you can make videos out of this. The TikTok creators put the music on themselves, often illegally, and then the song goes viral, which then puts TikTok in the position where they can go to that artist and say, look, this song's going to get used on our platform whether you like it or not. So yeah. you might as well approve it so that we can at least pay you a tiny bit of money. Now, one of the biggest imbalances True. that we do see on this is that there are some group of creators that are making music that are getting paid a little bit more, and those are the major record labels, right? The major labels have the big catalog, and they can go to TikTok and say, if you want to use our entire catalog, you need to pay us a big advance. You need to pay us some big money up front. And so the labels are getting big money. Where you're not seeing this is they with individual artists. They are getting artists. big money? Well, they, they're getting more than, say, an indie artist would. Like, if... If, uh, if if you or I put out a track, we don't have big catalogs, so we don't have the leverage to go to TikTok and say, if you want my two and a half million songs yeah. for your platform, you got to pay us a big advance for it. But but are labels like actively doing that? And is TikTok actively paying them? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of the individual labels and distributors have deals with ByteDance to get lump sum upfront payments for their recordings. See, you know, Ryan, that like, <laughs> <laughs> that like... Ugh. if no one was getting paid, I feel like I'd have the same perspective. But when you find out that like the labels are getting paid big chunks of money and all the indie artists are getting screwed. Now I'm now I'm back on my uh, high horse. Now I'm back on my got to save the indie artists. Like, well, <laughs> Katie, what, what radio show do you think this is? This isn't break the business unless there's a story about how labels are profiting and the little guys getting screwed. Oh. You labels, you. <laughs> I did not like know that part of it. <laughs> I should have known. That's like, the game. Of course, the labels are getting paid. Of freaking course, they're getting paid so much money, and none of the indie artists are. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, continue your point. I totally I, interrupted you out of my distress. I, I, f I feel like I, I'm just like, you know, like what, whatever, whatever, like Christmas holiday Easter bunny character you believe in. I feel like I just told you that person wasn't real. No, you just you just snapped me back to reality. And I'm my I am a social justice, independent artist warrior. Once yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the full light. Let's get artists paid. Well, speaking of getting artists paid, got a quick note here before we go to break. A pretty cool opportunity that's come in from our friends at BandLab. Want to mention this real quick. BandLab's going to be teaching up with entertainment publication NME for its Get Featured campaign. BandLab and NME will select up to four artists 
to receive a featured story on NME's homepage and to have their track featured on the new banger Spotify playlist for four weeks. A bunch of other cool prizes as well. So if you are interested, any independent artist can do this. If you own or if you have original music, just visit bandlab.com slash opportunities, submit your music, and maybe you'll get featured. That's it. No strings attached. There's no uh, uh, anything like that. I just saw this was an opportunity that was out there. BandLab reached out to me, asked if we could give it a little shout out, and that's what we're doing. So get that in by December 31st. You might get your music featured. Again, that is bandlab.com slash opportunities to learn more and perhaps that tiny little piece of benefit for indie artists will outweigh the fact that none of them are getting paid on tiktok and the labels are so i think we're even now right katie that pretty much yeah i think that we solved all of the issues in the music industry with that one so we're good we fixed it (laughs) all right tony d alexander is going to be joining us we're going to take a quick break don't go anywhere lots more fun to be had here on break the business Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTV Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corella here with Katie Zaccardi having an absolute blast on this hurricane-soaked Wednesday night. Thank you for checking us out wherever you're checking us out, whether it's the streaming platforms, whether it is the podcast platforms, or whether it is Sirius XM 145, Much Love to Slam Radio. Wherever you're checking us out, we very much appreciate it. And we appreciate you getting the word out. Tell a friend about the show. Let's see if we can grow this little community uh, speaking of growing the community and speaking of going viral, I noticed that the Twitch stream is uh, kind of lighting up right now. We appreciate all the people who are uh, hanging out with us uh, for this program right now. And yeah, welcome aboard and tell a friend. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. He is the co-founder and president of Made in Memphis Entertainment, a full-service entertainment company based in Memphis and Atlanta that provides global reach to its artist base through its recording studios, distribution company, sync licensing firm, and publishing company. 
Our guest was recently named to Billboard's Indie Power Players list and Worth Magazine's Worthy 100. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.mimecorp.com. We are happy to welcome Tony D. Alexander on A Break the Business. Hello, Tony. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you here. When uh, We were talking a little bit earlier in the uh, before the break, Tony, about your background as an attorney. And you're an IP attorney originally by trade. I'm an IP attorney. And you seem to be having a lot more fun with your job title than, uh, than I am lately because you got a cool entertainment company and I'm still an IP attorney. So I don't even know why I should ask this, but the, because the answer should be obvious, but why did you leave the exciting, fast-paced field of IP law to start your own boring entertainment company? <laughs> well, I, I've just been drawn to entrepreneurship over the entirety of my career. So it's not just music, but over the last 20 plus years, I've been involved in seven or eight different startups in a variety of different industries. Um, music just seems to be the the most recent. That's very, very cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I love these kind of serial entrepreneurs, Katie, that just constantly get the itch to do more cool things and kind of everything that they touch uh, you know, has a ripple effect and creates positive uh, things for their communities and their stakeholders. And speaking of the communities that you benefit from, Tony, I've noticed that a lot of what you do seems to be focused on trying to create creative ecosystems in cities that maybe don't have the fully supportive infrastructure yet. Like you wanted to go into Memphis and create something really cool for artists. You wanted to go into Atlanta and help build the culture there. How much of what you do is based on that idea of wanting to go into markets and uh, create an infrastructure for that creative in ecosystem? Yeah, that, that's certainly core to everything that we do. Uh, and when we first started the business, um, my, my partner and I, we uh, we came together actually around a nonprofit. Um, he had started a nonprofit. This is the Hall of Fame songwriter David Porter. He had he started a nonprofit to develop songwriters recording artists and producers. And the whole goal there was to create this curriculum and introduce them to the key elements of their craft. And so they would get into the different um, segments. And as we noticed, several cohorts came through that program. And I, I sat on the board and I, I watched it over a period of time. And what was happening every, every time a cohort finished, they would then move from Memphis to LA, to Atlanta, to mm. Nashville, to Miami. They would leave the city. And we were curious as to why they felt that the opportunities were always elsewhere with such a rich tradition that Memphis has. And it became clear that there was a need. And that need was to create alternatives for artists to be able to pursue their goals, but do it from home. And so that was the... Uh, the grain of um, or the kernel that was at the core of, of Made in Memphis Entertainment. So when we started the business, it was really to create um, a an opportunity for people to pursue their dreams without having to move. And we started to notice that that's not just a need in Memphis, but it's a need in many other markets where you have a very rich uh, ecosystem, very talented artists, but the infrastructure may not be there. And so we've built a business that allows for us to kind of move from city to city and create those supportive um, elements that all artists will need in order to be successful. I want to ask you a little bit more about that. This is kind of a, a personal 
interest of mine as somebody from Miami, because when I think of a city that I might attach the label of doesn't do enough to keep its musicians home, (laughs) I would ascribe that to Miami. Miami has amazing musicians that come out of there and they don't stay there because as they get older, they realize that there's not enough there to support their growth. There aren't enough small and mid-sized venues to uh, help them build their career. Miami's great if you're a megastar because, you know, like obviously if you're Ariana Grande, you'll have plenty, you'll you'll sell out a stadium in Miami. But if you're trying to build yourself and get started, it's not a great city for that. And that's a shame because it's otherwise an amazing city. So based on your experience in creating music infrastructures in kind of some of these secondary markets, do you have any advice for the people in some of those towns for what they can do to at least start the process of building a music community where they live? Well, well definitely. I, I think the, the first is to make sure that there's a, a really good system to help educate uh, creatives, to make sure they understand the business side of the industry, because that, that's one area that's, that's lacking and which leads to exploitation, because oftentimes people are convinced that they have to go elsewhere because they don't really understand what they need. And so when they have a better understanding of the business side of the industry, then they can make wiser decisions as to whether they have to leave or not. I think what's also important is oftentimes cities want to focus in on programs where they they're giving money directly to artists and they say well you know let's 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 help artists and, and i i'm 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 all for um being artist centric but not necessarily artist focused which and so my, my point is help create businesses that are going to support artists because now you have that infrastructure and that sustainability but if you're just giving resources to individuals it's not going to have the long-term impact that you're looking for so you have to create a climate, an environment that is rich to support the kinds of businesses that would support artists and allow for them to be successful. So investing in, 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 the, uh, in the venues, investing in uh, the recording studios, investing in making sure that there are incentives in place for, for artists uh, to have lawyers come into town, to have uh, accountants that, that have that expert knowledge to have all of the different elements of the industry that most people don't think about. They think well, music industry artists, they don't realize there are probably a thousand different jobs that support the music industry. And so to be able to create businesses around the artists so that there can be uh, sustainability for not just the artists, but for the entire ecosystem, that's what really cities really need to focus in on. Absolutely. Now, I know there are a couple of folks in the audience who uh, who are pretty interested in what you're saying there, Tony, and have asked, can we ask the guests questions? <laughs> sure. If anybody in the comments wants to throw in a question, uh, we're happy to send it Tony's way so you're not just hearing from me and Katie. But while we wait for some of those questions to come in, I want to talk a little bit more about your company, Tony. Recently, the Music Business Association presented MIME with its Agent of Change Award in recognition of your company's hiring practices. Tell us a little bit about your company's approach to hiring. And so we um, we want our business to reflect society. And so um, it's it's probably one of the most diverse organizations I've ever been in. And it's it's intentional, which means that we have to go about identifying, developing, 
recruiting, retaining talent in a way that's very different than, than most people would, would, would see in a traditional business. So when we think about our business, uh, one of the things that we, we have at our core is our mission is twofold. Our mission is to serve creatives. That, that's the given. We, we're here to serve creatives and try to, as much as possible, convince them to stay independent. That's our hey. goal is to, is to make sure that they have everything they need in order to have success and be independent at the same time. So that that's that's focus number one. A man focus after our own heart, Katie. Is we yeah. have to then develop uh, the next generation of music executives. Because what we've noticed in the industry is the majors have been chasing viral moments uh, for the last, you know, almost decade now. And so artist development has disappeared. Um, real true A and R's um, have they're, they're kind of they're, they're kind of missing in action, and and there's there's a lost art there, and so independent labels, independent um, publishers have now been the ones who've stepped in to develop and to uh, make sure that creatives don't have those gaps in their in their development, and we're looking at it on the other side, who's looking out to make sure that the music executives don't have gaps in their professional development. So as we're looking at people who have potential, uh, what we've seen is we have people who come in as interns who've moved on up through the organization uh, into executive positions. Um, oftentimes we have people that are part of the organization. We've never seen a resume uh, of theirs. We, we, we take a very different approach to hiring. Even how we uh, partner with organizations to make sure that um, not only are we having an impact within our business, but we're also having an impact uh, outside of our business. So I'll give you an example of, of how we've, we've worked some of these things internally and how we've also worked them externally. So um, in honor of, of one of our, um, our, our partners, we, we ended up acquiring a, a company called Heavy Hitters Music Group about four years ago. It's, a, it's an LA-based sync company it's been around 25 years. We bought it four years ago. Um, and Cindy Bedell Slaughter was the owner at the time and she just an amazing person. And one of the things that was important for us to honor her legacy, she passed away in 2020, was that we wanted to make sure that uh, we were having an impact in music supervision. And so we partnered with the Guild of Music Supervisors to set up a scholarship in her name and the goal there was not to just find ways of funding people who were in college, but we were giving a living stipend to people who may not have gone to college, but wanted to break into music supervision. And when given an opportunity to work with a music supervisor and they, they, they don't have the college education, but what was more important to us is they may not have the ability to pay four or $5,000 a month uh, to live in Burbank. Uh, to, um, to take on this job that doesn't pay much. And so we were going to provide living expense um, as the scholarship to support individuals who would probably not be able to take those opportunities otherwise. So, when, so as we've been able to do that, what, what it's led to is a company where several of our operating businesses are run by women, uh, women of, of color in particular. We have, we have, we pretty much if you look at the, the business, it really does reflect the music industry as a whole and society as a whole when you look at how diverse our business is. Well, you love to see it. And to me, 
it gets back to what you said earlier about what the ingredients are to building a music community in a city. It's not just investing in the artists. It's investing in the organizations that support artists. So you have that infrastructure. And I think a key component of that, to your credit, is also investing in the next generation of executives in that place, the administrative professionals, lawyers, music supervisors, accountants, production personnel, all the people that support artists and make the industry go. The more that companies like yours are building that next generation of executives and making sure that that generation reflects the broad diversity of our country as it exists now, the music industry in each of those cities that's trying to build their own micro industry has so much to gain from that. Really love what you're doing, Tony. Well, that's right. No, And I would just say that beyond just trying to make sure we have a diverse population, we're also trying to make sure that we have one thing that we don't mind being homogenous, and that is the mentality. And that mentality that we are trying to engender throughout the business is a, a, a mentality of service. So the people that are drawn to our organization are very passionate about serving creatives so that you're not going to find so many people in our organization that are trying to outshine the artists that they're serving. They're, they're not trying to have more followers on, on, on Instagram. They're not trying to be the ones at the forefront because they realize that our role is to serve. And, and if you don't like to serve, this is not the kind of organization that you're going to succeed in. Tony, while we have you here, I want to get your perspective on a topic that we, uh, Katie and I were talking about in the first segment about TikTok and how it's not paying out uh, to rights holders in music the way that YouTube or even Spotify or Apple Music is. And TikTok's argument is effectively, we are paying artists by giving them the exposure. We are breaking artists. We are turning songs into hits. We are revitalizing old catalogs. So if we're not paying artists directly, that's okay because we're still creating a lot of value. What's your perspective on that? Do you think uh, TikTok's approach is fair? Should we, they be going about it a different way? I, I think they certainly should go about it a different way. I, I agree with your analysis that it's, it's basically sync licensing. So that's the IP um, lawyer and, talking, and, Katie. So there, He's, there I knew he's still there. <laughs> there. There should be uh, appropriate compensation. It sounds to me that they're using the same arguments that radio is using for why they don't pay artists. It's advertising. And I don't think that that's a good approach. I, I do think that they need to be paid fairly. And that's something that needs to be addressed. It's, it's very similar to what Spotify was doing with Discovery Mode, is finding ways um, to use the argument that we're giving you exposure and, uh, you know, a, a wise man once told me that people die from exposure. <laughs> That's so funny. You're right, though. I was thinking that it's like, and in all other instances, I advise artists usually like, don't do something for free just because of exposure. Because like, you probably won't even get the exposure that you, that they're promising, right? So like, why is this different? It's not in, well, that's in right. a lot of cases. That's right. And I think, you know, Ryan, you probably can relate to this as a lawyer. You have to be very careful of trying to represent clients for the exposure, knowing that the liability is just as great. And <laughs> sometimes you get sued just as quickly from a pro bono client than you could from a well-paying client. So you have to be very careful about the exposure argument. And I think that that's uh, I think what we're dealing with right now is the fact that 
when you look at artist managers and they're running out of tools in their toolbox to cut through all this noise because there's so much content out there. And so people are acquiescing to acquiescing to things that they ordinarily would not uh, give into because they don't know how to get around the fact that with 100,000 tracks going up every week, how do I make sure that my artist is able to get the exposure that they're looking for? How do I make sure that they're going to uh, get discovered? And so sometimes people are accepting terms that they ordinarily would not accept because of the climate that we're in, where there's just so much content. There's just so much music out there. And some of that music, we don't even know whether or not it's legitimate music. Uh, so we're, we're dealing with that. And, and that's why I do think that the, the whole exposure argument is resonating with people because they've tried to cut through the noise with so many different tools. Their, their toolbox is now becoming empty and they're saying, OK, well, we'll accept it because this is, seems to be maybe the one thing that might allow the artist to break through and, and get the kind of uh, exposure that they need in order to get to the next level. And that that's the struggle that artists are facing right now. Our guest this week is Tony D. Alexander. He's the co-founder and president of Made in Memphis Entertainment. You can find out more about his work by visiting www.mimecorp.com. This has been a real pleasure, Tony. We've been really enjoying hearing about your organization, the work that you all are doing in investing in music communities and building up that infrastructure and higher empowering indie creators. You're definitely a friend of ours in that regard. One last question, Tony, before we let you go. It's the same question we ask every guest that comes on this program. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I guess there's, there's two pieces of advice that I would, I would certainly give them. Um, and the first, two, uh, first kind of goes hand in hand, and that is if you're going to be successful in the entertainment business, you have to be an excellent communicator. So I would encourage artists that are really good at songwriting and being able to tell stories, you're going to have to also be able to do that in other aspects of your life. Because if you're going to be able to be successful, you're going to have to be able to engage people, whether it be your audience, whether it be investors, whomever it might be, you have to be able to tell a really good story. The other thing that I would just tell them is make sure your metadata is clean. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about that for the uh, uninitiated out there. When you're saying make sure your metadata is clean, what does that mean? Well, I think th th a, a number of things, you know, metadata could, could be a wide range of things from tempo, you know, all, all of that. But the most important part is making sure you have all your split information, your publisher information, writer information, because all of that is going to ensure that you get paid. And so uh, if if you want to get paid, you need to make sure the people who are going to be paying you know who to pay. And so that part of your metadata needs to be very clean. You need to make sure your splits are clean. You need to make sure your publisher information is clean. Everything that is necessary for people to be able to pay you, whether it be the PRO, Sound Exchange, whomever, you need to make sure that that information is accurate and that it is clean. Music to the ears of the uh, fellow IP lawyer in this interview. Tony, this has been really, really terrific. We thank you very much for your time this week. And please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Love to keep hearing about the great work your company's doing. Sounds great. Thank you for having me so much. Our pleasure. Tony Alexander, everybody. You can find out more about his work by visiting MimeCorp.com. Now, Katie, with the time we have left, 
Uh, you told me that you had some things you wanted to say about the downfall, as you called it, of the, the hell site bird app that is Twitter. What has got you a Twitter about Twitter lately? Oh, man. I just am not optimistic, let me tell you. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't prepare a speech on this, but I've just been thinking about it, like, a lot passively lately because I am someone who's my day to day is like helping musicians figure out their brand, their message and their social media presence. And Twitter is an app that, you know, I personally have not been on it for like three years because I found it kind of toxic and I just needed to get out. It wasn't my favorite mode of creation. So I stopped using it for the most part, but it's still been like semi relevant, right? Like, you know, a little outdated, but still, still there. And I just don't feel like musicians should be spending their time trying to grow on Twitter right now. I don't even know if many musicians are spending their time trying to go on Twitter because I think that it is, again, kind of outdated. But I, you know, a lot of people feel like they need to be everywhere or, hey, maybe my people are on Twitter. And I just feel like it's it's going so chaotically right now. I don't know what's going to happen. I personally don't think it's going to last this I think that Elon Musk is going to end up with a very dire situation on his hands where he just drives the platform into the ground and <laughs> it's done for. But I'm very curious to see if that does actually happen. But in the meantime, like I'd be skeptical to be spending any time actually trying to grow on the platform while it goes through these like growing pains or whatever you want to call them. I'm I'm deeply troubled by it because yeah. it's it's the social app that I probably use the most, whether I have my lawyer hat on or I yeah. have my podcaster hat on. And I've noticed that in the last few weeks, I feel like it's getting three to five percent worse every week. Mm. Less engagement. You know, every week, another person that I liked on the platform has left. And it's just it's just slow. You know, you know, there's. First, there's like verification, then there's not verification, then you pay $20 for verification, then you pay $8 for verification. Now there's literally two forms of verification Yeah, where it's like a blue check and then like a little official thing. Like it doesn't know what it wants to be. And I'm I'm troubled by that because if Twitter goes away, I don't know what I can use to replace what Twitter is, which is at least a big, giant, though flawed site where mostly everybody is and I can be informed about what's going on in the world. And there are people saying, oh, you should give Mastodon a try. You got to be freaking kidding me. All right. Every time I try to figure out how Mastodon works, it's like when people try to explain the rules of cricket to me, like my brain (laughs) just melts. And like, it frustrates me because I like to think I'm a smart guy, but whether it's the rules of cricket or how Mastodon works, it's just not sticking in this head. Instances and federations, and there's like different sites, but there's not different sites, and they're they're different platforms, but you can still talk to, and and they're called toots instead of tweets. So I don't know where to go if it's not Twitter, and I know it's not Mastodon, and so I feel like I'm just going to lose the anyway, even the flawed way of being able to generally contact the world. And that stinks to me. Yeah. And you know, I didn't even think about the fact of it, like really, really just driving itself into the ground. Cause I don't use it actively anymore, but that is a really good question, especially cause like a lot of journalists are on it. It's a very yeah. like, uh, I feel like, you know, 
it, it's got a niche. It's got a niche, and I don't, I don't know what the replacement is. But I don't know that, I don't know that it's like a trustworthy platform anymore. Not that it was, not that I would have ever necessarily described it as trustworthy, but I would definitely describe it as not trustworthy now. Because like, <laughs> if you're paying for a check mark, who knows who's actually who? You don't know where the information's coming from. I think you're gonna see a lot of like bots and just like trolls and people who are just trying to like cause chaos um now that some things are just unleashed a little bit more and i don't think it's going to be a pleasant social media experience for a lot of people and who wants to be on something if it's not pleasant like that's what social media is for is for creating conversation community for having a little bit of fun and uh if if it's not gonna give you that no one's gonna want to spend their time there yeah. I mean, maybe I could shift my operation over more to Instagram. And that is where I think more of the artists tend to congregate anyway. Just I just don't take TikTok. nearly enough pictures of myself. No, Ryan, just just come to TikTok. You're already on TikTok. Just start talking on TikTok. The news is all on TikTok. Whenever someone dies, find out about it from TikTok first. <laughs> like, it's TikTok. You should write their branding. <laughs> Yeah, I should. Yeah. When TikTok, when someone dies, find out on TikTok. Yeah. Did you hear that Aaron Carter died? Found out about it from TikTok. I did too. Oh. <laughs> so Gosh. it's not funny. I'm not laughing because it's it's very sad that he died. But it is the truth that TikTok is, I think, the new Twitter, and that news goes very quickly on there. People will talk about it and it does stink in that you can't just like write a tweet on the subway. You have to like show your face for the most part. But I think that TikTok will just skyrocket even more than it even has now that Twitter is going downhill. I get what you're saying and it's good advice, but I already told you like, I don't know how I'm going to find the time to take pictures of myself. And now you're asking me to take videos of myself, <laughs> even though, as I already told you, I dress like John Fetterman every <laughs> single day. But this like, is the thing. People don't gonna care. It's just going to be hoodie and basketball shorts people in TikTok videos. No one wants that. No, no, no. Because on Instagram, it's like, oh, you have to be all prim and proper and like look fancy. On TikTok, I could literally make a video right now like, and just say something in five seconds and post it. Like, It's harder in theory, but it's also not that hard. It's easier than Instagram. I promise it really is. I also, I just want to apologize to the commenter who just found out from me right now that Aaron Carter died. Oh no. Oh, I just saw that. Oh gosh. <laughs> My yes. sincere apologies. Uh, our thanks to Tony D Alexander for joining us this week. Thanks to producer Lauren for doing a marvelous job behind the scenes. She lost power earlier from the hurricane, but thankfully it came back right before our broadcast. My thanks to you, Katie Zaccardi, for uh, being an amazing co-host, as always. And thanks to all of you, viewers and listeners, for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.